You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Uh, We've been looking at character for the past few weeks. Uh, Why? In some ways, it's because it was one of the rabbit holes of the wisdom series that we did late last year. Uh, It was just one of a number of sermons. It was a rabbit hole we could have run down. And you see, in the wisdom series, we learned that wisdom is the ability to make the right decision when there are multiple right decisions. Character is the ability to consistently make right decisions. Our character is who you are when no one's watching. Character is the long-term revelation of your will. Character, I said last week, is what you leak. Uh, that's what character is. And we see and have seen in this series that Jesus changed the world, not through a revolution of institution or a revolution of ideas, but a revolution of character through changed people. Verse 8 says that God's glory would be that you would bear fruit and that people would know that you're my disciples. There would be this supernatural change that was clear to the world. Jesus changed the world through changed people. Now, here's a challenge. Um, Why is it so hard to get Christian character right? You know how we've been saying like our, our actions are always betraying our good intentions. The things we want to do, we're never doing. And it's so difficult. Why is that so hard? And I sort of imagine it a bit like, you know those travelators at airports that go for like 150 metres, particularly in the big airports like Chicago? Uh, character change is, is like trying to run down one of those travelators backwards. Uh, there is always, there's always this headwind. There's always this current against you. And I'll give you an example. I used to, believe it or not, play bass for the worship team. Now, if I got up and played bass, which we didn't have this morning, but if I played bass, uh, you know, I wouldn't even know which note to uh, where, where the C was on the fret. Now, is that because I went and actively got anti-bass? You know, is it because I, I went away and I'm, I'm going to actively learn how to forget the bass? No, it's just there's a principle in the universe, and that is a principle of decay. Now, life always seems to be going backwards. Life, life, is, life is walking the wrong way on the travelator. And so if, if you don't move forward then in character growth, then you're inherently going backwards. If you want to move forward in character growth, it takes a heck of a lot of work. And so we've been looking at the, the why of character. Character affects everything, affects every decision. Last week we looked at the what of character. Uh, this week we look at how do you develop that character. Now I recognise we're on two different ends of the spectrum here. You have the young crew down here and our challenge is that we, we think character development is, we actually think it's easier than what it really is. Uh, we think it's just a matter of uh, hanging on the travelator and we realise after a few years that, yeah, you s- just start going backwards. Then there's the other crew up here. They're the more mature, the wiser ones in the congregation this morning and you're the ones that realise how hard character development is. Here in John 15, it says, Jesus says, I'm the branch, you're going to bear fruit, you're going to shine, you're going to be amazing. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am here to transform you into a person of almost unbelievable greatness. I've come to transform you. One, one, one commentator said, there's no mere mortals. Every single Christian is a person that if you were to see your true self and your true potential for what it really is, you'd be at risk of falling down and worshipping yourself. That's how beautiful God wants to make you. And yet the challenge for you and I this morning is, I guess the challenge is we need to repent of our small ambitions for ourselves. What I'm suggesting this morning, guys, is that 
there are people in this room and you've given up on yourself. You've gotten cynical. Your ambitions for yourself and your character and your own beauty and your own greatness are way too low. And what God is going to say to us here in this passage is, what in your life can be so bad? What in your life can be so stubborn? What habits can be so intransient? What stain could be so deep that the love and the power of God can't lift it out of your soul? And so how do we grow in character? How do we do it? We've got to look at the method. The method's absolutely crucial because I said last week, our challenge is a lot of people come into Christianity and they want to MacGyver their character. You know, MacGyver was the guy who could just duct tape anything and create a plane. You know, they, they take all the good things of character and they, they attach it to themselves. It's ex- external, not internal. But we must be absolutely clear on the method. So in John 15, we're going to see here that your method of growth must be clear. But you're, there's also, too, some responsibilities in your growth. The method's got to be clear, but you've also got to be clear on the responsibilities. Verse 1, let's look at what Jesus says here. This is all red letters, this section of the Bible. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Now, put yourself in Jesus' shoes here when he's trying to teach his disciples this. You know, this, is, this is the son of God. This is all of the revelation in the universe. This is, this is a guy that's trying to you know, explain to children how an engine works. And so the question we've got to ask this morning is, why would Jesus use this example? He's trying to distill all of this into the most simple teaching possible, and he starts talking about vines. Why is he talking like this? And he wants to get a principle across. The principle he's trying to get across here is that supernatural character growth is organic. It's not mechanical. It's organic, not mechanical. Let me you think on that while I get a drink of water. Character growth is organic. It's not mechanical. Now, look at the other way that he clarifies it in verse 2. Verse 2, he says, he, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. He cuts off every branch. Now, it sounds pretty harsh, but what is a dead branch on a tree or a vine? A dead branch is something that has a formal relationship to the tree, but it doesn't have a vital one, right? It's, it's proximate. It's next to it. But the lifeblood of the tree or the vine is not running through it, and so therefore there's no change. And so the branch, a dead branch grows alongside the tree, but it's not being grown by the tree or the vine. You know, it's like putting the batteries in the remote control backwards. Has anyone ever done that before by accident? And where's, where's the power in that? There's, there's plenty of power in the remote. It's proximate. But it, it hasn't been aligned in such a way that the power runs through it. Now here is... Here's the real cheeky warning that Jesus gives to you and I this morning. What he's saying is that some people can come to Christianity and they can engage it mechanically, non-organically, proximately. They can read the Bible. They can pray fervently. They can attend and sit in church every week and have no power in their lives. They, they, they come to this character formation and they're hitting the this, this thing. What's going on? Why? They're there. I'm amongst it. It's because your relationship to God is formal. It's not vital. That's the warning that Jesus gives us to us in this passage. Christianity, to be born again, is to have the very lifeblood of God come and infuse you and flow through you. You know, if he was here today, if he was teaching, and he is here today, but if he was teaching like me today, Jesus may very well have said, I don't know, um, I am the IV drip and you are the patient's. See the point he's trying to make? 
Christianity is an infusion in, in, of nutrients into the very heart of who you are. And so the method of growth whereby love and joy and peace come about is not a matter of proximity, but deep inner engagement. And you've got to get that right first if you're going to grow. So that's the method. We talked about that last week. But now the question is, who's responsible for growth? How do we grow? And ironically, Jesus says here, he says that we, we grow because on one hand we do something, on the other hand God does something. We grow because we do something, God does something. The first thing is we grow because we do something, and that something is abiding, abiding in him. It says, my Bible says remain, but abides like the old school word from the 70s. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now, is Jesus saying ask for a new car and he's going to give it to you? No. He's saying ask for everything that you want that frustrates you about your character. I'm going to to infuse that into the little IV drip bag. Ask for that and I'll put the nutrients in and it will eventually begin to flow through you. That's what he's saying. And now another way to describe what abiding is, is look, Guys, it's one thing to read this Bible for inspiration. It's another thing to read it for information. But then it's another thing to have the words of this book dwell within you richly, right? Like Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. If you don't get this down, there's always going to be anger and frustration and joylessness. And so the question is, what does it mean to abide for this word to dwell in you richly? Up for a case study? We've done a lot of case studies this series, haven't we? Here's another one, Matthew 4. Jesus is out in the desert. He's being tempted. Uh, He's right out there by himself and the devil comes in and tempts him. He says, tell these stones to make some bread. And Jesus quips back and he says, it's written, people don't live on bread alone. Deuteronomy 8.3. And the devil comes and says, throw yourself off the building. And and Jesus says, no, it's also written, do not put the Lord God to your test. Deuteronomy 6.16. The devil says, all of this I'll give you if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus snaps back and he says, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6 verse 13. What's happening here? What happened here? The word of God abided in him richly. C.S. Lewis said it abided in him so well that his language, language was bibline. He was so soaked with Deuteronomy and the, and the word of God that it just flowed out of him whenever it happened. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, I'm not in the desert. Actually, some of you are thinking that now because it's 35 degrees and the air conditioning is not working. So you feel as hot as Jesus felt in Matthew 4. Thank you for bearing with us. I can see the character trait of patience is very fruitful at Northside here this morning. Bear with me. What's it got to do with the desert? Look, here's what it looks like in real life. You're sitting down at the lunch table. All your workmates are chomping on their sandwiches. Someone whispers, you know what, I'm not sure our jobs are going to be safe by June. I heard there's redundancies. I heard it's coming. I heard the knife's coming down. Now, what do you do? What do you do with that? Do you get caught up in the anxiousness and the emotion of all of that? And you start freaking out or do you abide in God? Do you begin to wrestle into your heart? Does the Holy Spirit, you know, it does, is your language bibline so it just flows from you and, and, and suddenly Philippians 4 comes into your head and you say, oh, be anxious of nothing. Or well, Matthew 6, you know, this wonderful voice says, oh, come on, look, at, look out the lunchroom window at the grass and the birds. I'm, I'm looking after them, child. Don't you think I've got your life under control and I'll provide for you? 
or you know, think, think that your boss is coming down on you and you, you're just about ready to stick it to him. <laughs> you're ready to resign at worst, you're going to give him a lipful. And then, and then in comes the verse from Colossians 3.23, in all that you do, do it as if you're working for God and not for people. Do you do that? That's what abiding is. And here's a question, you know, what just happened in that choice? Like, first of all, how would you look at the lunch table from the outside? Everyone else is freaking out, but, but you know, you're chomping slowly. You're peaceful. You're calm. Now, think of it the other way. What happens when you get back to your desk? You realize that you just grew in character. Why? Because you were abiding. You were abiding. And here's the point that I realized this week, too. We get this confused all the time. Abiding is not residing. I always used to read John 15 and remain in me. I thought that meant I just had to hang out in church somewhere. You know, remain in me, you know, just, just hang out, reside in God, reside in the love of God, let it just overflow. No, but what abiding is, it's saying, how can this, how can God's ways become a part of how I live and breathe in my family life and in the lunchroom? You know, it's active, it's wrestling. Residents, on the other hand, they just sit there on the couch eating chips. Right? <laughs> there could be Christians that are like that. They're residing. They're flatmates with Jesus. They're not abiding. Do you know how to abide? It means obedience and discipline. It means study and meditation. Abiding is your responsibility this week. If, if you're going to change in character, if you're going to give God glory, if you're going to bear fruit. Now, I've got one last point, just a two-pointer today, and it's really important. And I want uh, it to sink in for a couple of moments. Because I didn't like hearing it when I unpacked what was really being said in this verse, and you may not either. So remember, if ever it's like that in a sermon, I'm just a male boy, Okay. We, we grow firstly because we abide, but we also grow because God will prune us. Verse 2. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. And whilst every branch that does bear fruit, he keeps, so he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now look at the picture of God here. As Jesus knows everything, trying to give us the absolute picture of who his dad is. We don't know him in that Godhead form, but he does. And the image that he uses is a vine dresser. Now, I'm, not a, I'm not a country boy, I'm a city boy, but I've been to the Hunter Valley once or twice. As have many Northsiders, judging by your Facebooks. <laughs> what do vine dressers do? Vine dressers are there to bring out the best in the vine to bring out its productivity, to develop it, to bring out the power of the vine, the power of the stem, the plant, to develop it. And so what do they do to do that? They attack it. They attack it with secateurs. And so if you were to go up to the Hunter Valley after pruning season with an untrained eye, you would go up there with an ignorant eye and you would be absolutely shocked. There would be leaves all over the ground. There would be clusters of grapes that have been cut off just before their prime. There, there would be stems that is absolute carnage that are just bleeding from a hundred places. It's, it would be an absolute train wreck to the untrained eye. Now, here's the point. To the ignorant eye, you'd go up there to the hunter and you'd say, what a waste, what a tragedy. But yet to the skillful gardener, there is not one random stroke in the whole thing. 
Every stroke against the vine was there to protect it, to beautify it, to develop it, to grow it, to shape it. Every stroke. In other words, there was nothing cut off the vine that wasn't a gain to lose or a loss to keep. Let me say that again. There was not one thing cut off the vine that wasn't gain to lose or otherwise a loss to keep. Now that's scary. That's a scary. And you know what's even scary is you see this principle of the way that God works right throughout the Bible. You see it all the time. You see in First Peter, for example, it talks about God as a furnace, you know, refining the gold. God, you know, God is a refiner. He's burning up the gold and refining it. Then you see other examples where you know, Paul in Timothy talks about you know, training as an athlete. God's a coach. He's there to coach you. In Hebrews 12, we've heard this before, that he's there as a father who disciplines their child. So we've got vine dresser, we've got refiner, we've got coach on an athlete, we've got father on a child. What do these guys do? They burn, they prune, they stretch, they discipline. Why? Here it is because through caring, loving, a caring design under controlled conditions for the purpose of growth, the only way to grow them is to hurt them. Now, right away, there is someone saying, hang on, Sam, hold on, and you're pretty upset, and I understand why. You know, some of you are going, look, you know, I, I, you know, my mum died was, when I was five. Are you saying that God brought that in to deliberately hurt me and to teach me a lesson? And some people are saying, I've lost my business. You're telling me that God's come and done that in terms of some form of spiritual exercise? And what, hang on, what is, what's the deal with this? What sort of God would, would put us through that suffering? And, and, and we see this in Jesus. He's telling you that if you're really a Christian, the Father will prune you. And it means this. Some of you look at your life right now and you see your life and you are bleeding in a hundred places. There are grapes all over your ground. Missed business opportunities. Missed relationships that you thought were, you know, got cut off right when you thought it was all going to blossom for you things that will never come back again. You see leaves all over the ground, all the things that were bringing provision into your life and they've been cut away from you. And you're crying out to him this morning, you're saying, how can he do this to me? Let me ask you, are you looking at your life with the, the ignorant, untrained eye of the person who doesn't know anything about vine dressing? Or the skillful eye of a person who does... The skillful eye of a person who knows that not one thing has been cut away that would not have been a loss to keep and a gain to lose. A skillful person knows what the vine dresser is doing. Do you know what the vine dresser is doing? You know, you look at kids, you go and turn the TV off to, with a child, and they think their life has ended. Life is over. Play school, it's gone. It's gone, Daddy. It's gone. Life is done. Look, why don't you assume that sometimes when it comes to God, we have the same perspective or lack of? Why don't you assume that, that to look at the things in your life that look like there have been merciless attacks on you by God, the things that you think God has stripped away from you, cut away in a sense of slaughter, why don't you see that's how a child feels in the hands of a parent when they're being disciplined? That's how the iron ore feels when it goes into the furnace. That's the way that the burning lungs of an athlete feel on that unexpected extra lap. Look, I tell you this, look at what he's done, not with the ignorant eye, but with the skillful eye. And you're saying, well, why would he do that? 
Why would he prune me? Why would he do this in order for there to be growth? You want to know the biological reason? You know why you prune? It's to draw the branch deeper back into the stem. It's to pull it back into the centre so it understands where it really gets its life from. You see, what does it mean to be pruned for us in the practical sense? To get pruned for us today, it means that they have, they have the things that you were really getting your sense of life and your sense of security and your sense of purpose on, to, to get that cut away from you. You know, you've seen those big gum trees, you know, where they get growth in them so big, it's almost like the growth becomes a separate branch out of the branch. It's not even connected to the trunk anymore. You know, there's so many things in this life that we begin to draw on that's not the stem that is Jesus Christ. And that, and that hurts because you're saying, hang on, oh, I was really dependent on that. Now, here's what you've got to do in that situation when you find yourself under the God's pruning knife. You immediately have to say to yourself, not why has God cut me, because he's been up front. He's saying, I'm a gardener. I'm going to do this. <laughs> and there's a lot more theology behind that. So you don't ask, why has God cut me? He's saying, why has this been cut off me? What does this mean for me? Why is God doing this for me? And when you realize that, you'll see that he's trying to draw you back to his stem again. The purpose of the pruning is to make you cling to the stem. He, you grow. You grow not only through abiding, but when God prunes you, he cuts you back in order that you could be even more virulent and sweeter and concentrated in the fruit that you have. <sighs> I told you, you probably didn't want to hear it. And some of you are thinking, Where, look, where's my five steps for growth? I wanted that this morning. I wanted, I wanted the five steps. Look, there's lots of that in the self-help section. But, you know, Jesus says you were here to abide and you're here to be pruned. And it sounds hard. It sounds hurtful. But let me put it another way. What Jesus is getting at is that, look, you know if you've been through enough life. Life, life itself will cut you down to size, to use that secular term. The knife's coming down on everyone. And what Jesus is saying to you this morning, that if you are connected to me, you'll be cut back to fruitlessness. But if you're not connected to me, the same knife can cut you apart. You want to see some proof of how this works? What do you, you want to see an example of abiding and pruning in action? There's this guy, his name's Jesus. And he goes to a garden on the outskirts of Jerusalem that's still there. And he's there in the darkness and his friends have left him and he's suffering betrayal and he's suffering rejection and he knows that there's this incredible weight upon him and he knows that he's about to move into this incredible suffering and he says, Father, not, not my will but your will be done. What's he doing there? He's, he's abiding. He, you know, he's, that's what we hear but he's thinking, he's praying, he's wrestling, he's taking all of these things to his heart. To abide by the rules of something is to come alongside, to be obedient to the ways and he's, he's become obedient to God's ways, that he's abiding. But then look at this, look, look at the cross this morning. Look at him at the cross, look at when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Uh, the Aramaic word there is sabachthani. You know what it means? It means to reject. You know another way, uh, another definition for what it means there? It means to cut off. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, Daddy, Daddy, why have you cut me off? And he'd only just preached about vines and all that sort of stuff just a little bit before. And I know this because grandma taught me all the secrets of grafting. 
I was, I was a city kid, but I had a grandma who loved a garden. People think, why did Jesus get cut off? <laughs> Jesus got cut off from the vine so that the worst thing that could happen to you is you'd only get cut back. Grandma taught me there's, there's no way to become part of a vine or a tree unless you're grafted in. And I don't know if, you've, if you're a gardener or not, but the only way that you, create a, uh, you, that you create a graft is you cut into the vine. And his place was cut off the vine with the Father so that you and I in all of our deadness of the life that was before him gets grafted into the vine itself in his place. Jesus was cut off so the worst thing that could happen to you and I, as painful as it feels, is that we're getting cut back. And by the way, the good news this morning is when you get cut back, it's like every great lemon tree, vine, you're going to produce more fruit. And so what it means this morning is at least he's got the gumption to swallow his own medicine. At least God was able to show us that that's how you truly do grow, not through the five steps, but through abiding and through being pruned. And so what it means for you this morning is, look, if you're not a Christian and you're just trying to pick this stuff up, if you're just trying to hang on the vine this morning, know that Jesus didn't get cut off at the cross so you could just hang on the vine, hang out at church, pick some things up that might be beneficial to your life. Jesus got cut off at the cross so that you could be grafted in. So that you could be hooked up to the IV drip. So the very lifeblood of God can come into you. Please, friend, don't go away from this church misunderstanding the very heart of what Christianity is. It's not, it's not about proximity. It's not about residing. It's about having the lifeblood of God himself in you. You can have that through faith in Jesus Christ this morning. The question for you is, have you come under the hand of the vine dresser? We live in a culture where we don't like to get pruned, do we? We like to be the pruners, not the prunees. We like to tell everyone else what needs to be cut off. We don't want to come under his hand. You've got to do that this morning to become a Christian. But church, allow me to take us back to the big picture this morning as we finish. I always say the quality of our community will be the secret to our mission. Guys, I'm not talking about the coffee. I'm not talking about the lights. I'm not talking about the programs. What I'm talking about, the quality of our, our community is... The combined character of our individual characters. The way that we will bear fruit, that we will shine light to the world is if each one of us, you and I, understand our individual responsibility to our corporate purpose. God designed you for, he expects you, for, he expects you to grow and you have a responsibility in that to abide and to come under the hand of the vine dresser. Jesus changed the world not through changing programs, but people. And if we're going to have programs in this place, it's programs to change people, not programs to change the world. He's come to turn you into a person of unimaginable greatness if you're willing to abide and to come under his hand. I'm the vine. He's the gardener. You are the branches. Let's pray.